With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Welcome to episode 11 of YWeb3, where we dive deep into the ever-evolving world of frontier and emerging technology. On the agenda today, we'll explore the latest developments in the crypto world, including the high-profile arrest, discussing the crucial push, push for Bitcoin, ETFs, and dissecting regulatory proposals for digital assets. We'll delve into concerns about the U.S. interest rates, examine significant registrations uh, in the crypto industry, and also learn a lot about the crypto exchange expansions happening in Europe. Today is September 28th, and here's the market update. Bitcoin is currently at 26,500 and change. The U.S. Fed rate is currently standing steady at 5.5%, and the Nasdaq is at 13,100 and change, uh, down a little bit from last week. Excited for our two special guests today. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and make it happen. Patrick Sweeney, if you wouldn't mind giving us 90 seconds about yourself, that'd be fabulous. Hey, Jay, thank you so much for having me. It's a uh, it's pleasure to be here. I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. I started five companies with uh, three exits. I've been involved with crypto since 2018, um, mostly in the mining space. My my first company was a company called Server Vault, which uh, had the first cloud hosting platform in the world. And that was, uh, you know, 1998, 1999, we started expanding. And so with the data center background, uh, I found it easy to to start mining crypto early on. And then, uh, you know, I'm like many other people were really concerned about the energy usage. And I saw it really as more a system design that, that the way that crypto was being mining wasn't really, um, it, it well thought out. It was just so profitable that people were building these one off machines, then just throwing them out when they weren't useful anymore. So, uh, I set out to change that a little bit. Awesome. Yeah. And there's so many parallels between web one and, and that, that big push and where we are now with web three. And, and I think people haven't even started to come close to understanding what we're seeing here today. So excited to chat more about that. Uh, Haristo, thank you so much for joining us again, a little bit uh, about yourself. So people know the amazing background of what you do in, in our uh, ecosystem. Uh, thank you, Jay. And uh, yeah, my name is Christo Piankov. Uh, I come from a background in traditional finance where I have spent over 12 years as a data scientist, essentially doing machine learning and AI models for traditional finance. And I moved into crypto around 2017. And really, I wanted to bring the data-driven and sustainable approach to crypto. So uh, my company does tokenomics for various projects. Essentially, our focus is to really build the data-driven approach to tokenomics, something that we can substantiate with, uh, with data and with actual figures. Uh, we have worked with over 250 projects in the space, so we have a vast experience across uh, every every kind of project, and, and really this is what we are still doing for uh, six years now. 
Awesome. Amazing. Th- thrilled to have both of you. Uh, so let's just dive right into the, the number one story, which I think is just one of the craziest things ever. And I, I also really want to you know, state how early we are in, in this asset class. And you know, people I hear all the time, you know, if we compare Web 1 uh, to Web 3, you, know, you kind of think about that like 1991 through you know, like 2000 scale. Um, you know, majority of the adoption was happening right at the end, you know, 98, 99, 2000 is when we started seeing like people, you know, believe the internet's a real thing and we saw actual businesses get online. Um, I've said for a while that I, I think that we're somewhere in the 1993, 94 cycle. Um, now this is going to move a little faster because we don't have to have, you know, computers that most people didn't own. Um, it requires a lot of education. But, but I, I want to say that the people that are deemed as experts, um, and, and really that, Get the most views are are completely some of the most chaotic and and just utterly insane people that I've ever encountered. Um, and and the story goes right now to to you know the Bitboy Crypto. Um, he's been he was very popular during the last bull rush. You know he's a very a colorful personality. Um, but you know let's be clear that the man's been a criminal multiple times over. You know, and, and there's no due diligence whatsoever because we're not talking about standard, you know, uh, you know, mainstream media channels here. So what, what occurred for anyone who, who missed this, it went viral, you know, a, a thousand times over. Um, and give a, a quick bit of background is a gentleman named Ben Armstrong, who's, uh, had a BitBoy crypto uh, YouTube channel, very popular. Um, you know, millions and millions of views. Um, he was, uh, essentially, allegedly, I, I don't know the law essentially, but allegedly was, uh, embezzling from his former company, uh, of which he founded, uh, they, they released him from, from that company. And, and again, all of this is still, uh, kind of floating around out there. Uh, but, but he decided that it would be a good idea to go and sit outside of one of his former coworkers homes, uh, with, with a, with a gun, um, and live stream himself retrieving his Lamborghini, uh, what he deemed to be his Lamborghini. And I, I, I just want to say this is, this is not uncommon, <laughs> In our industry, unfortunately, like, like he live streamed it, but I mean, we've seen some utterly stupid things that have occurred, you know, including Sam Bankman violating, you know, a very basic order to stay off the internet and stay away from, from crypto wallets. And so now he's in, you know, a, ma- a maximum security prison because he quite simply just didn't understand the law to begin with. Um, you know, I, I'm going to start with you, Patrick, on this one because we've, we've been in, um, you know, this space for a while. And this isn't even like that shocking to us, unfortunately. No, no. it's, you know, I mean, it's really a, a cult of personality in the crypto space because I, I think there are so many people who want, uh, you know, they, they want the personality, they want someone larger than life, and they think that's going to, you know, they're going to be the next Elon Musk and, and it's going to drive a, a token price or a stock price with it. And, um, and it, you know, it's got the range of everything. You've, you've got great people doing wonderful um, projects in the space, but then you've got assholes like him who, who just, you know, decide that they're above the law and take the, take the law into their own space. And I, I think it's different from, uh, web one really, Jay, because if you think about the most notorious person during web one, it was a guy named Kevin Mitnick. And uh, yeah. Kevin Mitnick was uh, the the world's greatest hacker and he hacked into everything from the Pentagon to, uh, um, you know, to, to every major bank. And, um, you know, he was arrested and, and did time quite a bit, but then he turned and ended up 
becoming a security consultant for the U.S. government and and showing them how you know you could be uh, breached and where their weaknesses were and and ended up you know creating a pretty big company out of that. But um, but it, you know I mean it, it just seems like it, he was certainly nonviolent. I don't you know I don't think he was ever one to carry a gun around and uh, and threaten people. But it it just seems like with Web three the the crazier the personality, right? And and with social media so prevalent now too, you get, you know, 60 seconds on TikTok and and you're building an audience, right? So I, I think yeah, that's it, a little bit of the difference. And listen, I, as someone who wants nothing to do with with having any type of personality, such as myself, um, I like to, you know, report what I see. I like to, you know, learn and, and educate myself and, and the audience, which is what we do. And, we, you know, we get respectable views, um, you know, anywhere from 10 to 50,000 uh, per show. And I think that's that's a good amount of people wanting to learn about regulation in, in digital assets. You know, but Haristo, you know, you, you come from a traditional finance background. Um, and I think the worst that we ever have to worry about is just Jim Cramer, like with like, a horrible track record of picking stocks. But I mean, you know, there, there's restraint on what he would do and what he wouldn't do. I mean, it's, it's, but it, in, in our, in crypto, like that's not even the worst thing we've seen this year. Oh yeah. Not, not by a long shot. And uh, funny, you just mentioned regulation. And actually I know that uh, there is a general movement in the crypto space who are not very welcoming to regulation, but I really feel that at least you know, some basic level where we can weed those kind of guys out, it would be really, really beneficial because at the end of the day, quite often I go and sometimes talk with some of my former colleagues in the banking section and, you know, the general feel for them is when I go there, but they ask me, but isn't crypto all scam? And I'm telling you, no, there are serious projects, you know, we are tokenizing real world assets, we are adding, uh, enabling liquidity and so on and so forth and then they come and show me a video like this and, you know, I need to explain somehow that this is the, this is the exception, you you know, they are the loudest voices, but they are not the the standard within the space. And I'm really struggling with this one, especially because, you know, uh, this is, uh, and it's absurd, this guy has a token and there are people purchasing the token for me. This is, this is totally crazy. I, I haven't seen the tokenomics on it, but I'm sure that it's, <laughs> that it's absurd. Don't, don't don't worry. He rug pull, he rug pulled everyone a while ago on this thing. Um, you know, you know, Jay. Let me let me jump in there too because yeah. I think regulation is so important. And and I've been saying this for you know the past five years that um, what you know we can't have a financial system that's a free for all. So so we should want regulation. I think anyone mm -hmm. in the space should be saying, look, this is an industry that definitely needs adult supervision. It lacks it now. The kids are running wild. So we've got to get in there and put some structure around things. It doesn't mean, you know, it's the end of, of speculation. It doesn't mean it's the end of DeFi. But that, that's the extreme case. If, if we proactively control and, and try and support legislation, we can keep the worst from happening on both ends of the spectrum. You know, and, and, and I'm going to throw out a very controversial statement that I've said a few times, <clears throat> and, I, and I don't mean it as a knock on, on anyone that's been developing or anything else, but I, I think that the ECR 20 is an entirely failed protocol. I think it's way too simplistic. It does not incorporate the, the measures for safety and security and transparency that are actually needed. Um, you know, Haristo, if I gave you, you know, 90 seconds in a Red Bull, you could probably make a new token, distribute it out, make a minting page, and, and there we go. Um, and, and that's a problem. And I think that it should take some time. I don't, 
you know, I think that the, you know, like I'm in the regulation camp as well. I think regulation is about, you know, consumer protection. Um, doesn't always get there. There's, there's a lot of politicians that, that do stupid things, uh, unfortunately, and they're going to do stupid things no matter what. But if we're not able to, to kind of look at ourselves and say like, that's great that we made ECR 20 and Ethereum's on it and, you know, anyone can make a, you know, their, their coin. But if we can't say, you know, we're going to make more advanced controls and then, then get the exchanges to say, look, we're going to just abandon any of these other things. Um, it's not, it's not about, consumer choice it's about it needs to be about consumer protection you know Hristo, you see so many projects um i, I just want to kind of stick on this point for a, a second because you know ben made a coin um you know and, and immediately rug pulled everyone you know and despite saying he wouldn't and there was nothing stopping him from doing so like nothing uh yeah absolutely and again i completely agree with you uh, uh, on this point that essentially and we have regulation is the thing even stopping mass i would say uh institutional adoption at the end of the day because when you are a big company when you want to enter the space you want certainty above all even when you are a smaller business the most important thing for a business is predictability and certainty and really a regulation yes sometimes can somewhat hinder the business but it really gives this level of certainty that you need in order to operate and really i believe that this is crucial for the for the next level of uh, crypto adoption we are all talking about now tokenizing real world assets and whatnot but yeah we need to have then regulation similar to the one that we have for for them as well and, and I, I know there's so many people that work on this problem. I mean, we, we at YWales, you know, we, we have a RWA project called FinRamp. You know, we work on it quite a bit and, you know, we, we fly around the world and we meet with regulators. And, and the challenge that we run into is exactly this case is that everyone refers back to, you know, generally they point to a token and they say, this is, this has been a problem. We tried to address this. And, and almost every single time it relates back to an ECR 20 protocol. Um, and, and again, that, that's a base format that that can be adjusted you can do lots of things around it um but i think we we built an early ecosystem and i think that's very indicative of what we saw you know patrick you were very much around for web one you know there was a lot of early protocols that, that entirely got abandoned yeah. once once i can showed up and said okay we're going to standardize a lot of these things you know yeah. uh in the earliest days you know email if you had a prodigy account and you had a copy serve account you had email on both of those but you couldn't send an in between them for a long time. Um, and then, you know, AOL showed up and around the same time I can made some things happen and, and, and suddenly they came interchangeable. And I think we're seeing that right now. We're seeing such an early, early stage. And just because someone, you know, has gotten people's attention, just because they've made, you know, money doesn't mean that they're right. And I think that that's the biggest point that I, I'd love to kind of hear your, your aspect on this. And then we'll go to some other stories. But, but, you know, we've seen failures from so many of our heroes. You know, we saw Tara Luna, you know, Do Kwan was, was heralded on, you know, every magazine cover as a genius. And the entire thing was held, was a house of cards. Um, you know, Sam Bankman was, you know, invited to the, you know, the, the U.S. Senate and Congress and, you know, speaking to every single person. And, and he was a massive thief on, on the back, you know, on the back end. Um, well, AJ, despite- I'm going to remind everyone who's listening that there is something like, uh, 10 senators and 20 congressmen who are felons and and like 50 or 60 uh, DWIs in the house. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, our, it's, our regulators it's, aren't immune to uh, to that as well. Yeah, but I, I think it really showcases that, you know, how do how do we and, and this is an opinion, these aren't this is just our opinions, you know, how do we start to, to you know, 
put sunlight, you know, which is the best disinfectant, um, onto these projects, onto these leaders. And, and really, again, you can trust, but how do we add verification? Because that's what this entire movement of Web3 is supposed to be about, correct? Well, well, here's, here's the answer that not a lot of people are going to like. It's just time. Right. The, the Gartner came up with something, you know, that, that has been prescient in almost every industry 30 years ago called the hype cycle. And, uh, if, for those of you who've seen it, it's a, it's a big spike when, when there's new technology and it starts to prove itself and it looks like it has a future. And that's when, you know, your Sam Bankman's jump in and, and, you know, you, you can get rug pulls and you can get all that because people are so excited. They don't want to miss the boat, right? There's definitely FOMO going on. And then we drop down into what's called the trough of disillusionment, which is probably where we are right now in crypto, right? So you, you, you can almost look at it and follow. Uh, BTC's price from you know maybe 2016 up and down, and now now we're back here somewhere. And then there's this sort of long, steady climb out, and with that comes the leaders in technology. You see consolidation. We're already seeing it in the mining uh, companies. You start to see new technology come out, new protocols, things getting converged. The user experience gets much better, but it takes a lot of time to figure out who the winners and losers are going to be. And it's not something that happens overnight, especially with regulation. So I think, I think we're in that trough of disillusionment and, and, yep. and, you know, starting to head upward, which is good. Absolutely. Haristo, any comments? <laughs> I think, he's, I think we, I think we got a, uh, Haristo, you good? You, you can hear? Haristo? Yeah, I think that's okay. All right, we'll keep going. Some music on. <laughs> he, he, does, he doesn't like the Gartner hype cycle. <laughs> no, no, that's good. That's okay. That's why it's recorded. They'll, they'll edit this part out. All right. So uh, pulling back in, and I think this is really important. So on, on the topic of regulation and really on the topic of, you know, like there, there's there's a large movement of self-custody, um, but but institutions are just not on board with that. Uh, so we're seeing, you know, a lot of lawmakers are telling the SEC that they need to approve Bitcoin ETFs. Um, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think this is the right play. I think this puts proper custodians in, 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 in play. Um, I think it prevents rug pulls. It allows these to be insured assets. Um, and really, I, you know, if, if you're a Bitcoin maximalist and, and, and I'm not, <laughs> but, but I really do believe in Bitcoin above any, any and other, all other uh, digital assets at this point right now. Um, I, I think we want to see these as something that you can invest in that the corporate balance sheets, which has always been the goal, you know, 1% uh, into Bitcoin can happen through a spot ETF. Uh, but it's not something that's been previously allowed before, especially in the United States. Patrick, this is absolutely in your uh, wheelhouse. Yeah. And, and Jay, I think, you know, people have been pushing for it for, for, you know, especially the last five or six years. You have a lot of private wealth uh, management companies, not, not just corporations, but you've got, I mean, you're coming to Zurich next week. But when I talk to people in Geneva, these leading uh, banks, they're saying family offices want to hold three to five percent in Bitcoin, but they're reticent to do it and they want to do it through an ETF. And, and so I think legislation is starting to go in our direction. And, and clearly, once you have that that sort of seal of approval that Goldman Sachs is, you know, has an ETF that's been approved by the government, I think you'll start to see much more adoption. And it's coming at an interesting timing because of, um, you know, what's going on with Bitcoin. We've got the having in uh, in April. And I think there's going to be an interesting reaction prior to that as companies want to get on board, you know, uh, maybe before the having takes place. And because you, you, we always see a lot of shakeout after each one. 
Yeah, and I think this also goes into, you know, when we really think about like where things are, are coming, like holding digital assets, um, you know, if we, and, and again, in, in our FinRAMP world of where we spend it, you know, we believe, you know, you can still be compliant with existing laws. You don't need new laws uh, in place because assets, an asset's an asset just has to be properly custodied. Um, so the, what you lose if you go with like MIFID II regulation um, is you lose the ability for self-custody of a security. Yeah. Um, so depending on how these things, but but banks, you know, are have been custodians for centuries. Um, and I believe that, you know, while there's a small percentage of us that, that believe that, you know, 12 or 24 words is, is all you need to hold your life savings in there. Um, you know, I, I think that banks, you know, we want to help usher them into this, this new ecosystem. We want that transparency of knowing, you know, not just are they holding our assets, but what else, what else are they holding on their books? Um, because we've seen so many, such a big, you know, banking crises. And, you know, Haristo, I'd love your comments on this, on this here. Um, you know, but Jay, thanks adopting Jay, blockchain to, technology. Oh yeah, please. Well, I just want to clarify one thing. We're we're talking about ETFs being held by a bank. Individuals can hold specific assets themselves in custody, you know. So so that's the I think that's the a major difference, right? If people still want to accumulate BTC or Solana or whatever, they can, I, they can Yeah, I think they I think and I and what I'm and what I was trying to say is I think people absolutely can. I think there's a small percentage of people that will. I think that you're gonna see that that ninety-eight percent of the world's population still believing in the financial financial ecosystem as it exists. But the but you know my question I'm I'm passing over to Haristo is, you know, banks adopting blockchain technology is is just a net positive for all sides. It's a net positive for for the financial institutions, and it's a net positive for consumers because you have that transparency and that trust, but verification factors. But I'd love to hear your opinions. No, absolutely, I agree a hundred percent on this one, and I think the core thing here is the user experience. I'm not saying that there is a great user experience in all the banks, but compared to the user experience that we have right now in Web3, let's be honest, the the user experience in Web3 right now is, is terrible, meaning I can never get my mother to hold a crypto token because at the end of the day, I cannot explain to her that she needs to save the, the 12 words, she needs to not write them down on a list on her uh, on her laptop with a note that if she loses them, she loses all her money and there isn't a single person in the world who can help her recover them at the end of the day. And this is something which, let's be honest, it sounds scary and I agree that it is scary and I have taken great precautions for my uh, passphrases but even I have seen really technical people, really people who are technically savvy really get scammed in a very simple way, like a website opens and all of a sudden a MetaMask interface opens and asks them, you know what, we need your 12-word uh, uh, phrase again. And they input it and, and they get all their uh, for stolen, which is absurd. And having banks so that we can have regular users who are not obsessed with security and who can just delegate their security to somebody else i think that this is a huge win for both for the industry and for the for the banks as well yeah and i can give a very quick story you know on on that exact point is is i had um my wife's venmo got hacked and her venmo was attached to the bank account her bank account um, and they quickly drained, you know, uh, quite a bit of money, um, you know, through there, they maxed it out over, over three days before she, she found it. Um, you know, one call to the bank and, you know, within three, four hours, the money was back in the account. Everything's done. Everything's fixed. 
not a problem. Um, that's the banking and that's the, you know, the, the amount of insurance and regulation that goes into there. Um, I talk to people every single week that have their crypto wallets hacked and, you know, they're like, well, how do I get this back? And it's like, Nope. <laughs> you know, um, and I, and I've had people, you know, that I've, I've talked to that have lost upwards of, you know, nine, ten million dollars. Um, and, you know, some of these people are still, you know, months, years later trying, trying in any way, shape or form to get any percentage of this back. And the answer is generally like you've gone outside the traditional finance ecosystem, which is why circling way back around on this conversation, why I think, uh, you know, large family offices and institutions want a spot ETF because it is insurable and the custody is, you know, done through through proper custodians because even people that understand this very well as you said Haristo like you know we've seen a couple people in our industry that lost access to wallets you know that they they were custodians like that was their business model was to be the custodian and they don't have access or they lost or you know these funds so I, I think it's a very scary world we live in and I think that there's you know a couple things that need to be fixed and wallets is the first and foremost uh, definitely. And now we are seeing definite improvements with this. I cannot quote the exact uh, protocol which was implemented with the latest upgrade on Ethereum, but enabling, for example, to have two or three people which can make a transaction instead of you in case you lost your accounts or having multiple multi-sigs on each account where, for example, if you hold, hold a large amount of money, essentially, three or four people need to sign the transaction and having this kind of a separation between a cold, cold wallet with a multi-sig and a hot wallet, this kind of uh, financial literacy and financial discipline, once we start moving more towards it and once it becomes the norm, then sure, it will be great. But before that, we need, we need banks as uh, intermediaries and probably it's very likely that we'll forever need them, at least within our lifetimes, I believe. Yeah, and, and right now let's let's remember we're we're still talking about the entire crypto industry. Uh, you know, is is a tiny, tiny you know percentage of the world's you know uh, assets. Um, you know, we went we we made it all the way up to three trillion dollars. Uh, came crashing back down. I think we're you know right around a trillion, so we're we're down about you know two thirds. Um, but but that's nothing. There's there's single banks that are larger than that. I think the Rothschilds have more money than that. So um, now I'm going to get. Hate mail on that one. Um, but, but, you know, the, the entire goal is that, you know, when I say that we're early, like we all need to be working towards a common goal. And so one of the news, news stories that I, I want to bring today and, you know, near and dear to my heart, um, is that they're, they're trying to create a tokenized asset coalition. Um, and I'm, it's great. Um, you know, I, I think those are the, the right things that we need to see. We want to see, you know, the leaders get together and this is, uh, the tokenizing, tokenization asset coalition, uh, includes Ave, Centrifuge, Circle, Coinbase, Base, uh, Goldfinch, and, uh, a couple other small people. And, um, the, the problem that I have, you know, with this one is, is not that they're not trying. It's that you need the large institutions to be involved in this. Like if, if you want JP Morgan, who's one of the largest asset holders on the planet, uh, to get behind this, you know, they, they need to be at the table and they need to talk about what works for them. You know, they've built Onyx. Um, Onyx, I, I'm not going to say whether it's a su success or failure at this point. Um, but you know, they've put a lot of time and energy and money into this with their theses. Uh, and, and so I really like the fact that there's now conversations about like, we're not ready to digitize securities. You know, there's, you know, there's a lot of work that has to be done around wallets, around bridges, around these chains, um, to, to make sure that we're compliant for wherever it goes forward, because no one's going to, no bank is going to accept like, Oh, we, we can't get access to all your, your, your assets anymore, or they're just lost. 
Um, you know, Haristo, I'm going to jump back to you on this one because, you know, you, you spend a lot of time on, on tokenization and, and tokenomics. Um, and so you, I'm sure you talk to a lot of large clients, you know, what's their, what's the thoughts they have behind, you know, actual real world assets? Like we are right now discussing from a legal perspective, okay, can we have a building and then tokenizing the building and having an asset back token? And I think that those are amazing possibilities which we can have, not only for a traditional financial assets like bonds and, uh, uh, and whatnot, but also for actual asset back tokens which represent things in the real world. The thing which I still feel that we lack is the exact infrastructure, as you mentioned, and really for having this done in at least in a semi-decentralized way. Because if we put away decentralization entirely, it is not that big of a problem. Again, you have a custodian. This custodian <laughs> has the responsibility to handle this, and then you issue a token which represents something within the custodian, either shares or something else. But I think that what this coalition needs to solve and what I'm hoping that they're solving is exactly the decentralization angle on this because I also see other there and really how the two things can can work in unison together. So Haristo, I, I got a question for you. Like there are a number of stocks that are tokenized, right? You can buy you can buy the token of Apple stock, which is which is a an individual asset, right? Like, like it's a um, an existing asset. What's the what's the gap between you know financial assets versus real world assets? So you mean by the gap you are we are talking about the difference between a financial asset like a bond and the building which I gave as an example or yeah yeah, yeah. like so, so a stock you know a, a share of apple stock or or the um you know the tokenized version of an apple stock versus the tokenized version of jay's office Essentially, the one thing represents a cash flow generating asset and the one thing is a security by definition. The other thing, obviously, Mika is trying to explore it in, as something different than a security itself. Obviously, we can talk about anything. We can have Jay's office and we can have a read on top of Jay's office. And those essentially are two different things. One thing is the financial assets representing it. The other thing is the brick and mortar thing. And at the end of the day, it really depends on what will the token represent at the end of the day. So let's say that we tokenize Jay's office and we issue one million tokens which represent it. The core question is, with one token, what can I do? Can I go and take a brick out of the office? Can I go and take... Jay's microphone, what does this token actually represent? Because if it just represents cash flow, which Jay can generate within this office by paying rent, then yeah, it doesn't have that big of a difference. But the real interesting question is, if we are not looking at it in the terms of a financial asset, what can the token itself represent? I cannot give you a definitive answer like uh, on this at the moment. We are still exploring possibilities and talking about it, but uh, it's definitely an interesting uh, thing. Uh, one thing that we are discussing with the project that I mentioned are the rights of building on the plot of land at the end of the day, meaning that can we tokenize this? Is this an asset back token or is it a financial thing? And it opens all sorts of interesting questions, which to be honest, we are searching the answers for. I cannot give them uh, readily available. 
You know, I, I think one of the thing I want to throw out there is a lot of people, whether they're very experienced like Haristo or, you know, they're just kind of, you know, casual traders like you and I, most likely Patrick is like, we understand if we go on the NASDAQ, the Dow or the S&P, you know, like we're, we're buying a share of a company, but that doesn't give us rights to do anything other than they may send us a, an email to vote on something that, that are one, you know, one or two votes, that, you know, may or may not uh, have any power on, but we kind of don't have any disillusion of like, I can go walk into, you know, Tesla and say like, I am a shareholder and I demand to like none of that there. Um, with crypto exchanges, it's a, it's a massive mess of like, some of these things are stakeable. Some of them might be real world asset potential tokens. You know, they don't even know what these things are. And so I, I think we haven't really defined categories. You know, we use words like ICO, um, to help, you know, kind of you know, sound similar to an IPO. Um, and, and so we really do a lot of this to ourselves. You know, we, we, we use these terminologies that sound similar to traditional finance. Um, but those are highly, highly regulated, the, 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 highly regulated. The, the, yeah. the uh, nomenclature in crypto is just, it's unbelievable, right? <laughs> yeah. If you guys, if you guys remember uh, Stephen Wright, the the comedian, right? It, it reminds me of something that you know he would have uh, created. <laughs> yeah, it, you know. But getting back to the point, I think it's it's really you know hard for most people to understand. Um, you know, you've got you've got Bitcoin, you know, listed next to Ethereum, listed next next to Doge, listed next to you know sometimes you know like an Ave you know type token, and those are like each of those represents a very different investment and a very different investment thesis, and you can do very different things with those. So I, I entirely like I'm all about tokenization, like I am all in on Web three, um, but I I think that we need to really take like five steps back. Um, and I hope that we do not have to do this with government regulators and sidestep because, you know, that's going to slow down everything or kill a lot of what we're trying to do. But, you know, the, the big gatekeepers, you know, the, the Coinbase's, the, the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the big exchanges, you know, really, I think need to step up and, and create and force categories. Uh, cause, you know, it's like, you know, this free and fair for all, like, Hey, whatever you want to do, you know, make whatever you want. Um, I, I think it's lost and it hurts. It hurts us more than it's helping us, um, in the race for, race for capital. Interesting take. I, you know, I, I think the, um, I think it's, gets back to that long, slow grind, right? On, on the hype curve. I, I think it's, you'll start to emerge. And, and some of the stuff too, Jay, if we're talking about tokenizing real world assets, but putting real world assets on the blockchain and, and the term, I think NFT now has a negative connotation, but I, oh, I, I know, but I don't know anyone uses it anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I definitely believe everything's going to become an NFT. And it already is in a lot of places. So you, you know that I've been Ukraine five times uh, you know, yeah. since the war started. And everything there is on the blockchain, on their phone. Their driver's license is on the phone, uh, the um, marriage certificate, birth certificates. And so that's going to happen to us, right? Everything is going to become an, an NFT all over the world just because the, the, the security is so much better and, and stronger and the ease of use. So those things will start to merge together in whatever form they take. And, and then we'll have sub industries like you're talking about, you know, we'll have DeFi, we'll have real world assets, we'll have categories, categorization, and each one will probably yeah. have their own form of regulation. Yeah. And, and, and I, th and again, I, I knocked on ECR 20 earlier on in the show, but I, I think there's a lot of other ECR protocols that are amazing. Like 1155 is fabulous. Haristo, you could name, you know, 20 that are, are, are groundbreaking that nobody uses. And I think that that's what I'm trying to get after is like, 
we got to move past the ECR 20. Like we've got to get past like the, the, the 2018 cycle of these, these, you know, tokens and everything else to get things that have, have more depth to them. You know, if we want to talk about real world assets, it cannot, there's, it's impossible. I've, we've looked at it a dozen ways. An ECR 20 cannot be linked to our, our RWA. Um, you have to have something much more in depth and we're working on a lot of things there. So. But I want to pivot real quick because um, Web three to me involves a lot more than just cryptocurrencies and blockchain um, AI, and I, I want to you know take a second and really talk about this because I think it's going to revolutionize everything we do um, when we're talking about having educated buyers and consumers. I think AI is going to bridge that gap. Um, being able to ask questions about these tokens, being able to ask about the contracts, being able to ask about what what is backing them, um, you know, humans just are not going to ever take the time. And you know, you can put all the information in front of them, but they want you know an, the easy button. Hey, this is my investment thesis. Um, you know, give me ten recommendations, and and which one do you think is going to do the best over the next few years? And that can only happen if you're putting the data on chain and, and properly uh, formatting. So, uh, what I think is really interesting right now is ChatGTP. Um, which we talk about quite a bit and, and it's had its ups and downs, its left and rights. Um, but, but they've re-enabled, uh, they pulled back out for a while. I really enjoyed what it could re- browse being. Um, but, but it showcased how bad, um, internet browsing was. You ask a very basic question and, and ChatGTP will give you an answer back. Sometimes it'll lie, but it gives you a very well formatted answer. Um, and then they connected to the internet and then all of a sudden it was like searching, reading, scrolling, going back, searching, read. I mean, it was just like over and over to like, I can't find it. And it's like, well, welcome to what life was like as a human. Um, they've re, they've, they've, they've re-enabled it. Um, they've added a, a, you know, visual search as well. So that you can, you can put a diagram. I tried it this morning. I, I put a, um, uh, one of our diagrams for one of our, uh, ecosystem token designs in there. And it, Absolutely, kind of extrapolated some information out of it and was able to talk intelligently. So, um, you know, I'll jump jump uh, over to you, Haristo, real quick. You know, how integral do you think AI is going to be into this this movement here? To be honest, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, I I have been a data scientist for twelve years and I was doing machine learning models and. ChatGPT was the first thing that really excited me for a while in the space when it came out. And I really feel that moving forward, it has a really long way to go. Again, in the analogy which you were making earlier that we are in the year 94 of the internet, again, uh, I would say, yes, this is the, this is the Yahoo of AI. We are still waiting for the, uh, for the Google search engine of the AI. And, uh, although, we, uh, I am, I am already using it. So when we are creating, uh, even we are working with projects, we are creating token economy papers. It uh, can speed up research by a lot. And for example, I was using more the chatbot within Bing, which I think is still open AI based because it also provides the sources from where it gets the data. So I can go and I can double check the information which it gives me. But if I need to research, uh, market size, if I need to research an industry, it goes there, it gives me the figures, it also tells me where it got them, and I can open and just double check that this is the correct figures, and I can say I like those sources or I don't like those sources. I think the biggest thing which needs to come in order for this to work is that right now it is a very one-sided conversation. And what I mean by that is that People are not great at asking questions. So essentially, AI needs to learn to ask for context. 
So if I go and say, what is the size of this industry? I need that chat GPT comes and asks me, okay, why are you asking? Are you doing a research? Are you doing a paper? Are you doing something different? Why do you need that? And I answer it. And then before giving me the results, ask me a few more questions to get the relevant context so that you can provide the needed information. And I think that then we can even teach people to start asking questions, which is critical and phrasing their queries in a correct way. And this would be the, the big leap after that, in my opinion. Yeah. And I hope that people take the time to learn prompts um, because like most people don't even understand how to properly search in Google. Like there's a lot of keywords and, and prompts you can do just inside of a Google search that, you know, vastly increase the, the accuracy of your searches. And most people don't do them. They just type in a, a one sentence. You know, Patrick is the other non-data scientist on this call. Um, I, I, I easily now can pick out like when, like it, when it first came out, I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. And then it, it became really quickly that I can start to see when people are just sending me chat GTP. Everybody's email. Yeah. I, I, I hope this finds you well. And, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> you, yeah. you can definitely tell when someone said to chat GPT, Hey, how do I pitch this CEO on buying my shit? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it all comes out the same. You can totally see it. That's why I was saying with Haristo talking about the data sources. So I'm, I use it a lot because we're trying to get him uh, onto landfills that haven't converted methane to electricity because it's too expensive and then put our system on top of it, which both captures the methane and creates a, a economic incentive for the landfill owners. So it's a, it's a brilliant idea. And I've been doing just that, the research Aristo's talking about and trying to find these day, these um, uh, landfills, find out how much methane they're getting, how much waste they're coming in to know future production. And it, it's like AI, the, the critical thing, you guys mentioned both of them with AI are number one, the data sources, where is the machine learning from and, and where is it getting its data? And then number two, the, the prompts. But you're absolutely right, Haristo, that it, it once we have context and once it starts to understand context, it'll be much more powerful. Yeah, I, I, we don't have the article listed here, but I did see that that Sam Altman, um, you know, sent a tweet and he just said, hey, you know, AGI has been achieved internally. Um, Haristo, do you mind just kind of, you know, going over, you know, really quickly what that phrase, you know, potentially could mean? Uh, AGI should stand for artificial general intelligence. So the core concept is that AI is generally specialized. It does, it, the, it can do one thing. At the end of the day, what ChatGPT does, and <laughs> I like this definition a lot, is that it is a stochastic parrot. It just... You know, you give a prompt, it tries to understand everything which is written and tries, gets one word and gives you the next word which has the highest probability to follow the first word. So at the end of the day, it is just about uh, uh, working with data, working with text. Artificial general intelligence should be able to solve problems, meaning you should be able to present it with a problem and it should be able to solve it without being specialized in a particular uh, uh, field. Now, uh, I haven't heard this uh, quote from uh, 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 from uh, from the person, sorry, just forgot the name. But anyway, uh, most AI experts agree that we are probably at least 10 to 20 years away from real artificial general intelligence. And this is when it starts to become a little bit scary. But uh, it's very interesting if we are there already. I just doubt it a bit. 
Yeah, it, it, uh, Andrea was kind enough to go find that article while we were talking, and and he's backtracking now, saying he was just making a meme. Um, I, I'd, I'd like he's, to call he's, BS. He should be say. in crypto. <laughs> yeah, he, well, don't worry, he is. He made right. Worldcoin, right. so he's the ultimate, uh, you know, kind of crypto crypto guy right here. So uh, there, there's a name that I, I hope kind of comes and goes, which is the Worldcoin Iris scanning. We got to talk about that for a few times. And um, did either, you know, Patrick, you ever in, in Europe? Did you? Did you do the uh, iris scan? No, I did not. <laughs> did, did you know anyone that did? Uh, I know a couple people who did, yeah. But I, I you know, um, I've been a security freak since Server Vault days, so <laughs> yeah, I'm going to keep you know um, uh, Minority Report out of my backyard. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, it's uh, we talked to some people right when it first came out, and I think the most like the thing that kind of really killed me about Worldcoin is I'm like, okay, it's a security feature, and I can I can see the theses behind this. But it turns out that if you like you lose access to your wallet, you can't go like re get back access to your wallet by doing it. It just gives you a whole new one. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, what's the purpose of this? Yeah, like if yeah. it's just saying you're a human and here's a wallet and then you go back and it gives you another wallet. Anyway, I, you know, there's there's enough problems with Worldcoin that uh, governments are kicking them out of uh, kicking them out of the countries. Um, but I do want to spend a little bit of time while we have uh, you on here, Patrick, uh, talking about kind of some of the larger uh, mining things that are coming down the pipe. Because yeah. uh, whether you believe in in you know cryptocurrencies as you know real world assets or anything else, um, Bitcoin is Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is the last uh, big proof of work. Um, uh, coin, um, and and I do believe I do believe that you know the Bitcoin community will continue to move uh, the needle towards green and a lot of other things. Um, that being said, MicroStrategy uh, bought another uh, uh, 5,400 bitcoins, uh, spent another 150 million dollars. Um, absolutely love uh, Sailor; he's not slowing down in any way, shape, or form. But you know, Patrick, at this point, isn't it strange that he hasn't just converted to mining these things um, as a technologist? Well, I I think you know Jay what his thesis, and I, I've known Mike for twenty years. Right, his uh, partner who started his company was on uh, my board for ten years, one of my companies. And um, what his thesis is that he can he can buy things cheaper than it costs to make them. So um, you know, depending on the swings and and timing of the of the buys, he's he's buying at a lower price than people can often mine at. And especially how competitive the mining industry is now, right? There's really two or three miners that are going to be here next year. And and that's just because it's so competitive. So I, I think it's just, it, it's too much hassle. There's too much commitment. You know, there there's too much in terms of building infrastructure and it's just easy for him to buy the lows. And and he's upside down, or not upside down, but he's he's underwater uh, on his on his total stack, which is which is a lot of Bitcoin. It's a it's a it's a shitload of Bitcoin. <laughs> yes. Um, so, and the other, Hirsto, um, do you have any you know thoughts on this? Because you know we see a lot of these publicly traded companies, and I know people that have for years uh, bought stocks of companies that hold Bitcoin um, because the the stock value was underneath the value of the Bitcoin that they held. I am I'm just concerned in this whole thing that I think that if he holds like five or seven percent right now of the of the total supply, if I'm not wrong, maybe I'm misquoting totally, but some kind of figure like this uh, is within my head and I'm really concerned in case uh, the company goes under for whatever reason and they really need to liquidate this. This is my major concern here to be to be perfectly honest. Definitely something that I don't want to to see. So uh just that. 
Perfect. And, and um, Jay, I've got to I've got to jump to uh, the National War College, which, interestingly enough, is quite concerned about the projection of power through um, through proof of work assets, and and uh, it's a really interesting topic that I hope we have time to delve into uh, uh, sometime more. But I think on the mining front. Not only companies that have concentration, but mining concentration. Russia's gone up considerably since the war started in mining Bitcoin. And we've seen, you know, Jay, you and I have seen uh, people from Russia looking for millions of dollars of mining equipment, which hopefully they're not getting. And, you know, even on a smaller scale, take it down a geography. Texas is incredibly, uh, you know, powerful now within the U.S. in terms of density of mining, particularly since most of the people in Georgia, which which was about the same size as Texas, their uh, power purchase agreements have made them, you know, basically stop because they're, they're uh, again, unprofitable. But the last interesting thing that uh, I want to see, you know, how it plays out is BTCS, Bitcoin uh, Spark, which is a new token that's coming out with a, a some sort of a hybrid between proof of work and proof of stake. And I haven't, uh, I think they call it proof of purpose or proof of purchase or something like that. But uh, um, yet another yet another thing for us to figure out. Yeah. Track. And I haven't, but you know, it could be, they, they could be the, uh, you know, the hotmail or the, you know, AOL, right? It could be the the evolution we're looking for. I haven't had a chance to dig into it yet, but uh, Perfect. it's just something interesting to look at. So we, we appreciate your time. Yeah. No worries. Well, and I'm going to stick around with Haristo for, for a few minutes, but we'll, we'll catch up with you soon here, sir. Excellent. Haristo, great to meet you. Thanks for your time. See ya. Bye, Patrick. Perfect. Great so, meeting you. So, Haristo, um, and, and really we've only got one or two articles left, so I, I, I want to run through these with you. Um, on the... Um, on on uh, Arbitrum, they're now trading Bitcoin mining power, um, and I don't know exactly how that uh, how that works or, or what happens. Um, can you can you explain what they're what they're trading there? Essentially, uh, we have done a couple of projects like that. Uh, at, at, again, I'm not in detail on what exactly they're doing on Arbitrum, but usually we have seen several projects where people can just purchase. Uh, mining power from one company which is offering it, for example, as a cloud service or with, as with anything else, and you have a token representing each unit of, uh, of hash power. And essentially, you would go, the company would go, they would mine them, they would deposit them within a pool, and then the people who have stake within this pool, they can either mint more tokens, essentially like purchasing additional hash power with the previous one which they had, or uh, or pretty much uh, just uh, cashing out and getting the money for doing this. For me, this just creates some very interesting market for additional derivatives on top of that, meaning that essentially uh, I can see how this overtime can uh, can produce like uh, additional stable coins, additional other financial derivatives, and I'm quite interested to see how how this develops as it is, uh, yeah. Uh, quite quite interesting. Obviously, you have the problem of uh, centralization, meaning that the person who is providing the particular service, you need to be sure that he is diligent and he is doing uh, the work. 
I think this really showcases going back to, you know, circling way back around to the, the first conversation we had, which is we haven't barely scratched the surface on, on what the new financial ecosystem is going to look like. Um, and, and to be clear, most people have no idea how complex the existing one is today. There are people that specialize in trading assets that would make your head hurt. Like it's these nuanced little, you know, fractional bond, you know, wrapping things. And, you know, there's, there's so many times that I, I meet people and I, that, you know, I talk to what they do in the financial industry and I'm going, that's a thing. Like, like explain more. Like I want to, I want to learn. And, and so what we're seeing now is some of those same concepts being brought to blockchain. Um, and I think it's really interesting because right now they're not interconnected in any way, shape or form. You know, some of these traders, they, they work in a very small dark pools. Um, you never see what they are. What they're doing is entirely legal. Um, you know, they're, you know, some of them can be, you know, trading mortgage backed securities, you know, some of them can be trading, you know, all these weird things. Um, but now suddenly we have blockchain we have the ability of things to be traded in a clear day and, and be, you know, having liquidity pools where uh, you can interconnect these assets. You know, my, my thought to you is like, it really in your mind, because you're, you're at the earliest stage of, of tokenization, you're talking to people before they tokenize assets. You're talking to people as they're, they're considering, how do, I, how do I properly represent this insane thing that we do that there's you know, maybe a thousand people on the planet that even understand? How do they properly tokenize this? And my thought, my asked question to you is, you know, how long do you think that, that this process will take? You know, do you think that this is years or decades um, to convert you know, the financial, global financial ecosystem to blockchain? It really, it really depends. It really depends. And for me, the core problem which I'm seeing is that traditional finance and blockchain are still very much at odds, meaning that there is no acceptance on either side. If we can reach some kind of acceptance and agree that each system has its merits, then I think that we can shorten this, uh, the, this transition and this evolution by a significant amount. If we continue to pretty much reinvent the wheel because I'm really seeing how in the blockchain industry, we are repeating some mistakes which were done in the traditional finance industry, maybe a hundred years ago, maybe a hundred and fifty years ago or whatever. And we are just repeating some of the things there because, you know, there is just no uh, integration between the two. So really for me, the biggest goal is, okay, let's shake hands. Let's agree that both have merits. Let's work together and see what is best done in the traditional finance world, what is best done on-chain. And it is not that one is categorically superior to the other. Let's figure out which does what and let's have uh, uh, cross-industry uh, cross experts within both. And then we can obviously accelerate the, the maturity of blockchain in terms of finance and the maturity in, in traditional finance in terms of transparency and accountability. If we can get TradFi people to listen to just that clip, I think they'll have a very much better understanding of what we're trying to accomplish here compared to just coins and memes go up. Um, because, because again, you know, circling back around, you, you are from TradFi. You understand their world very, very well. Um, and, and I would say you're probably one of the most educated person on tokenomics 
uh, in the space and understanding what blockchain brings in uh, in here. So I, I really thank you for that. That was very insightful. And, and uh, on that note, we're going to go ahead and bring this to a close. Uh, Haristo, thank you so much. Patrick had to jump out a few minutes early to go uh, present to a very large console. Um, and again, on on the concept of, of Bitcoin and blockchain and, and why really every country needs to be exploring this um, and adopt and, and helping to adopt regulations, um, you know, existing regulations into this new technology. So Haristo, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, why whales wherever in the world you are uh we will see you guys next time thank you all talk soon thank you it was a pleasure being here why whales was founded in 2021 by jay steinbeck a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing ypo and yng members together in the cryptoverse why whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.